just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Friday, been a busy week. A lot of stuff to talk about, and we'll get to that momentarily. A couple of things I wanted to let you know about. Uh, I mentioned Dewey. He was a guest on the show a while back. He's a friend of mine from TikTok. I think I even mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. Uh, Dewey's a little more technically savvy than I am. And he offered to do a few things for me. First of all, he got the domain for me, rationalboomer.com, which I should have had anyway. But as you know, I'm just lazy about stuff like that. So he got me the domain, rationalboomer.com. And then what he did with that uh, domain, he attached a link tree which is kind of nice because if you go to rationalboomer.com, you can access the Rational Boomer podcast on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, on Anchor. You can check out my Instagram, my Facebook, my YouTube, and there's even a way to email me from that site. So it brings everything together. If you miss me from one spot, you can find me in another spot by just going to rationalboomer.com want to thank Dewey very much for uh, doing that for me. Uh, he'll probably be back on at some point. But if you're looking for him on TikTok, you can find him at at do the right. Now, do is spelled D-E-W, then it's T-H-E-R-I-G-H-T. If you want to check out his podcast, and I recommend that you do, all you have to do is look for The Dewey Show. Just Google that shit and you'll find it. But you can go on Spotify and Apple Podcasts too and find it there. So that's cool. And I appreciate Dewey doing that uh, extra work for me. It's something I wanted to do. But you know me, I would have never done it. I would have never waded into it. I would have procrastinated. So he was on top of it for me and I thank him very much. I also want to talk about a guest that's coming up next week, and I'm kind of excited about this guest. This is a gentleman that I've known for a long time, literally 50 years. When I was about 13, 14, we moved from one part of South Minneapolis to another part of South Minneapolis. And when I moved into the second part of South Minneapolis, this gentleman lived across the street from me. Now, he's a couple of years older than I am. I knew him, of course. We were friendly. We talked a lot. Uh, But in high school, he kind of hung around a different crowd because he was a couple of years older. We always maintained a friendship because, I mean, Jesus Christ, he was across the street. Now, what I knew of this guy um, was he was a good guy, kind of a quiet, low-key guy, very nice guy. And uh, he played hockey in high school, and that's really all I knew about him. Later, I found out he was a musician, had no idea he had any musical abilities. Well, the reason he's coming on the show is twofold. First and foremost, he's a dyed-in-the-wool liberal. He's of a like mind, if you will. Very nice guy. Very passionate, compassionate, very intelligent and articulate. So for that reason... He's going to be a great guest on the program, besides the fact that I know him very well. I've done interviews with him before, so this should work out just great. Now, the other part of why I'm interested in in, uh, him being a guest is it's something that's kind of outside the realm of what we do here on the Rational Boomer podcast, but it's interesting, and I think you'll find it interesting. Because you see this gentleman, his name is Monty Moyer. And Monty Moyer, uh, along with being a great guy, a liberal, and all those sorts of things, he's also one of the founding members of the band The Time. Are you familiar with the band The Time? You know, Morris Day, Jungle Love, um, 7-7, 9-3-11, or something like that. 
They have a lot of great songs, and you would know about them because they were a band that was an offshoot uh, from Prince, and they rose to fame around the same time that Prince rose to fame in Minneapolis here. In fact, what the way it worked out was that Prince and Morris Day were friends. Uh, Morris Day helped him write a song. Prince said, "Here, here's what I'll do. I'll give you X amount of dollars for that song, or I'll help you put together a band and we'll promote it and we'll get it going. Well, Morris took the band, and of course that became The Time. And if you know The Time, you know all the great music they have. Now, this friend of mine, Monty Moyer, was one of the founding members of said band. I think they were originally called uh, Flight Time. Now, in this band was Morris Day, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Jellybean Johnson on the drums, and Monty Moyer. Now, if you ever picture the time, if you see a picture, if you Google this shit, Monty's real easy to pick out. He's a shorter guy. And he's the only white guy in the band, but he is a great guy. And he's got an incredible story. Not only was he in that band for many years, he's written several hit songs, too, that I'm sure you don't know about, but you'll hear about it in this show. So we'll be talking about politics. We'll be talking about music. We'll be talking about nostalgia. It's going to be an interesting show. I've done interviews with him before, so I know it's going to be good little out of the realm of what we talk about, at least part of it is. But as I've always said, this is my fucking show. We're going to do what I want to (laughs) do. No, I'm certain you'll like it. All right, let's get down to business. I don't know which day it's going to be. I just talked to him today and I said, do you want to do it? And he said, sure. He said, how about next week? He's in New Orleans right now or something. And so when he gets back, we'll figure out what day it is. I'll promote it properly and you'll know it's coming. So be looking for that particular program. All right, we've got some emails to look into. First one says, Hi, Mike, Rebecca here. Rational Boomer is my first go-to political podcast to keep myself informed of what's currently happening. Thank you very much. I also listened to The Bulwark with Charlie Sykes, and I was wondering if you caught his interview with Paul Ryan. I'm dying to know your opinion on it. Lawrence O'Donnell covered a bit of it tonight on his show, but the best part of his show by far was the Trumple Thinskin had to say about Fox Entertainment. I took a picture, so I, I got it word for word. This is the best yet to share it with you. Sorry this is so long, but I really would like to know what you think. Keep up the good work. Love the podcast, Rebecca. Now, I'll have to tell you, I don't listen to the Charlie Sykes show. I probably should. Um, but I have seen Paul Ryan interviewed, and uh, Paul Ryan's really two-stepping backwards. He uh, He's not feeling Donald Trump at this point. I think he even said that uh, if Donald Trump is the candidate, he won't even go to the Republican National Convention. And I think you're going to see more people like this. Donald Trump's becoming a pariah amongst the uh, Republican Party. The sad thing is some of the Trumpism or the policies that Trump talks about, people are ready to dump Donald Trump, but they're not ready to get rid of, oh, little things like racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, the hate for LGBTQ folks, overturning Roe v. Wade. They may be getting tired of Donald Trump. He's worn out his welcome, but they love all that divisive shit. Now, Donald Trump is going to spend some time ripping apart Paul Ryan, and I'll talk about that later in the program, so be watching that. And it's the same thing I talked about with regards to Ron DeSantis yesterday. Donald Trump is such a cancer on the Republican Party. And it's a weird situation, even though they know he's bad for the party, that he is a cancer. They are still reluctant to wipe him away and get rid of it. I'm thinking part of it is some fear because they think Donald Trump still can destroy people. And we'll find that out soon enough because he's already working on on, um, 
uh, Ron DeSantis. He will be working on um, Paul Ryan and anybody else that uh, speaks out against him or runs against him. This is going to be quite an interesting thing because what's going to happen is you'll have the Republican Party, then you have Donald Trump, and Donald Trump will be backed into a corner with all his little trump maybe 25-30% of this country. They won't be able to accomplish anything. We'll get indictments and things like that, so there'll be all kinds of problems. I'm not a big fan of Paul Ryan because Paul Ryan was as much a Trump humper as anybody in the beginning. And then when he had enough, he resigned or retired or whatever the fuck he said he did. And the reason he did that, Paul Ryan did that, he knew that Donald Trump was going to be a shit show. And he know, knew that those people that stood with him too long would wear the stink of Donald Trump. Now, Paul, Paul Ryan should be wearing some of that stink too, but at least he was smart enough to get away sooner than everybody did. He's not going to be able to shake it completely, but he's in a better situation than those people who stood with Donald Trump to the end or are still standing with Donald Trump. I don't think Paul Paul Ryan is necessarily a viable candidate for president. He doesn't wield any power. He's simply a private citizen. So I don't think much of Paul Ryan at this point. I didn't like him at all when he was Speaker of the House. I like him even less sitting on his ass someplace in Wisconsin. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rebecca. I appreciate the email. Please send more. All right. The next one comes from Eric. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Tuesday, eight Iowa State House Republican representatives issued a proposed amendment to the Iowa Constitution that would ban gay marriage in the state. Here is the exact text. In accordance with the laws of nature and nature's God, and the state of Iowa recognizes the definition of marriage to be uh, solemnized union, between one human biological male and one human biological female. Now, some news outlets in the state are saying it won't pass, and even if it gets approved this session, it has to pass two separate sessions of the Iowa legislature with an election in between. I really don't think it'll pass through all that process, nor do I. Today, yesterday, Wednesday, 20 Iowa State House representatives introduced a bill banning all abortions in the state and also make aiding and abetting an abortion a crime. It would be enforced like the Texas law, which uses private citizens suing suspected violators. Some news outlets are also saying it won't pass. Now, being from Iowa, I'm ashamed of these proposals. We need to do better. I'm guessing these are more attempts to pander to the far right. The Republicans keep backing these loser ideas that aren't supported by the majority of the people. This state was purple-leaning blue during the Obama administration. The Republicans had to dig up that fossil Terry Branstad to win back the governor and state legislature. I'm trying to be hopeful that the Democrats can retake control here in Iowa and get things going the right direction. However, I can't shake the feeling that this won't change anything and we get going backwards. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I know what you're saying, Eric. Um, But keep in mind, you know, some of these states thought they'd be smart and put up... uh, put up the question about abortion, states that are presumably red, that were for overturning Roe v. Wade, they put them up uh, as a mandate, I guess, and they were all voted down. The problem with these ideas regarding outlawing gay marriage, uh, abortion, and all of these things, there really isn't a majority of people in this country that support that. It's a minority, a very small minority. Um, But they have positions of power, so they're able to make the most noise, which is what they're doing. I don't think they're going to pass in any of these states, certainly. You have to understand where we're at now. We have a Republican Party that's losing power very quickly. Now they are flailing. They are desperate to 
gain purchase on something so they can save themselves. The fact of the matter is, with the Republican Party, there is no saving them. They are too far gone. Now, it's going to be ugly and messy while they're in the process of losing their grip. But in the end, they won't have anything. They aren't going to be able to accomplish anything. I mean, this still is a democracy up until the time the Republicans try to overthrow it. It is still a democracy and majority rules. In spite of gerrymandering, majority rules. It just does. And I think it's important that people like you and I and everyone else with a like mind speak up, speak out, and speak loudly. I said this in a TikTok earlier today. People in America have been apathetic for decades. They feel like they have no power. So they let the government uh, go rogue, run roughshod, and they act like there's nothing we can do. And this isn't true. It's almost as much being lazy by the citizens of this country. The fact is, we have access to the most powerful weapon there is in this country. And that is the power of public opinion, the court of public opinion. We speak loud enough, we push it hard enough, we can change things. Now, I'm sure there's some of you sitting at home saying, that's not true, it'll never happen. Well, let me illustrate something for you that shows exactly that. There is a big pharmaceutical company called Eli Lilly. They make billions and billions and billions of dollars every year. They sell all kinds of pharmaceuticals, including insulin. Now, you might remember back a little while when Elon Musk first took over Twitter. He got the brilliant idea of selling blue checks, verification that who was on this Twitter account was, in fact, them. But he wasn't really looking at verification because he fired everybody and there was no way to verify anybody. So he just sold the blue checks for $9 a month or something like that. Now, when he did that, I said, you know, it'd be funny if a bunch of people grabbed famous names, bought the blue check, and started talking like they were this famous person, but they weren't. And people kind of laughed and said, yeah, that'll never happen. Well, it did happen. It did happen quite a bit. In fact, one person took the name Eli Lilly, got a blue check as if it was, in fact, Eli Lilly, and then tweeted out that, Eli Lilly was saying that henceforth, all insulin would be free. Well, of course, this wasn't true. And it cost Eli Lilly literally billions of dollars. It was a fucking mess. So then, of course, Elon Musk uh, chucks that idea, and now he's working on something else. But the interesting thing about that situation, what that did is it brought the whole narrative of insulin and prices to the forefront, brought it to the surface. It was in the news all the time. All the politicians were talking about how expensive insulin was. I'll give you an example. Insulin, it said, cost $10 to make one dose. That's a lot of money for one dose, but it's reasonable. Now, Eli Lilly would charge as much as $274 for a single dose. Well, that's a motherfucker of a markup, isn't it? Now, nobody ever said anything about it. They just dealt with it. They were just apathetic, paid the price, and grumbled about how expensive it is. And they assumed that Eli Lilly was doing all they could to keep it down as low as they could, and that 274 was just the price we had to deal with. Well, we find out that's not true. It's just a matter of greedy companies trying to rip us off for as much money as they can get. And beyond that... It's regarding medicine that keeps people alive. If they cannot afford this exorbitant price, then they die. 
But Eli Lilly didn't give a fuck. They were making money hand over fist, and they didn't do anything about it until, until the story came to the forefront. People are screaming about the cost of insulin. Joe Biden's talking about it. Democrats in Congress are talking about it. Newspapers are talking about it. TV news. The guy down the street is talking about it. It's in the narrative. It's loud. And it's in Eli Lilly's face. So what does Eli Lilly do? Well, they could continue to charge exorbitant prices, make their money, but end up becoming a villain in this country which could ultimately cost them their business. So they think, you know, I've got a better idea. The better idea is that we drop the prices of insulin. So that's what they're doing. They're going to drop the prices of insulin. Now, this would have never happened. They would have never dropped the price of insulin if not for all the talk, the narrative that was going around about how they were cheating people and how expensive insulin was in spite of the fact that people needed it to save their very lives. Without that noise, without that pushback, without that yelling, ranting, and screaming about this injustice, they would have never changed it. So what that tells you is that we do have power. We do have power in the um, court of public opinion. But we haven't used it much. We've been lazy. We've been apathetic. We've got a lot of things to address and a lot of things to fix, like these crazy fucking Republicans trying to pawn off these ridiculous laws that are, in fact, unconstitutional. But they pass it through their state because they're so corrupt, so criminal, or so stupid that they think they have the power to do that. That power stops the moment we stand up and push back, and we're loud about it. And it's ringing through every hall and coming off every mountain. We're yelling at these people. We're putting it in their face and exposing them for who they are. Then and only then will they back down. So... Eric, my point is, is that I think people are getting tired of things now. People are tending to speak out more, stand up more, protest more. And a good illustration of that is this Eli Lilly situation and the cost of insulin. I've got my fingers crossed and hope against hope that that's what we're going to see in the coming two years with all this other bullshit. But after 2024... I think everything's going to change. You're going to have a Democratic president. You're going to have the Democratic majority in the House and a Democratic majority in the Senate. Then things are going to fucking change. Now, whether Joe Biden ends up being the candidate for the president for the Democratic Party, I don't know. I don't know if he'll do it because of his age. Or I don't know if he won't be quite as popular by the end of this term. And the reason I say that is because Joe Biden's got a lot of traction out of all that he accomplished in Congress. Well, now that the Republicans have control of the House, nothing is going to get done. That's going to hurt the Republicans, but it's going to hurt Joe Biden too. And Joe Biden's doing some weird shit too that we'll talk about later in the program. The one big story that doesn't have anything to do with politics per se, at least not on a national level, I I think this has a lot of political ramifications in this small town in South Carolina. We've been talking about this Alex Murdaugh murder trial. He's a once prominent South Carolina attorney whose legal family influenced the state's low country region for generations Well, he was on trial for shooting his wife and his son. He tried to have some explanations, but he kept tripping up. He lied. This guy has all kinds of other problems from ripping off his own family, ripping off his own company, stealing money, 
to uh, support a drug habit which he had. Let's be honest, Alex Murdaugh is a fucking mess. And this trial, as I've said before, I've been kind of upset about it because we've got this murder trial in a small town in South Carolina, and it's most prominent on the cable news networks. I mean, they're running the fucking trial live while all this other shit is going on. I don't know why this Murdoch trial warrants that much attention other than the fact that it's scandalous and it's weird and there's a lot of moving parts in it and it's sexy and these media outlets know they're going to make money from showing it even though it really doesn't have any bearing on the country as a whole. Well, they did the final arguments, the prosecution and the defense. And then it went to the jury. And within three hours, the jury had a verdict. Well, that's typically bad news for a defendant. If they go into the jury room, they talk this out for three hours, and then they're done, that's not a good sign for a defendant. And Alex Murdaugh was convicted. The 54-year-old was convicted Thursday of two counts of murder in the 2021 shootings of his wife, Maggie, 52, and son, Paul, 22, at the family's rural hunting property in Islandton, South Carolina. Each count carries a sentence that could range from 30 years to life in prison. He was also found guilty on two counts of possessing a deadly weapon during the commission of a violent crime. The jury deliberated for just under three hours. As I said, Murdaugh had insisted on his innocence throughout the weeks-long trial, though he admitted to the stand that he stole money from clients and his law firm and that he lied to investigators about his whereabouts on the night of the killing. Murdaugh finally admitted that he was at the dog kennels when his wife and son, minutes before they were fatally shot, after prosecutors presented cell phone video that appeared to capture his voice at the scene with them. So he had to change his story. Now, as I said yesterday, I don't know why they spend as much time as they do with this. As I said yesterday, he's fucking guilty done deal. Now, I wasn't sure that he was go- wasn't going to get off. I mean, you're talking about a very powerful family in a small town in South Carolina. They have some good reputation. They have some bad reputation. But when somebody wields as much power as Alex Murdaugh does, it's not crazy to think that he'll slip out of a murder charge. Well, he didn't in this case. And the jury decided it very quickly. There didn't seem to be any question in their minds. There didn't seem to be anyone that was arguing the other side. They went in, they talked, they voted, done deal. Alex Murdaugh is going to jail, probably for the, for the uh, entirety of his life. That would be my guess. 54 years old, the murders go from 30 to life. They haven't, um, they haven't said what the uh, punishment will be. But over and above that, there is going to be some legal cases regarding him stealing millions of dollars from his company. He's probably going to catch some charges there and uh, catch some jail time, whether that uh, will want run consecutively or concurrently. The bottom line is if he gets the minimum of 30 years, he'll be 84 years old. Essentially, the rest of his life will be spent in jail. Because I'm thinking Alex Murdaugh isn't going to fare too well in jail. I heard somebody talking about this, somebody who had spent some time in jail, wondering what would happen to him in jail. Now, if he was a pedophile or abused uh, children or something like that, he'd be in for hell. Now, he might go into prison, kind of a quasi-celebrity, but he has one downside. He has a lot of money, so you can guarantee that there are going to be people in prison taking advantage of that situation, extorting money out of this guy every day. 
his life in jail isn't going to be pleasant unless, of course, they send him to some fucking day camp like they do with rich people from time to time. But we don't know that yet. We'll find out what the final uh, sentence is sometime in the next month or so. The bottom line is he's guilty. He's going to jail. And finally, finally, some fucking justice in this country. This is a guy that needs to go to jail and stay the fuck there. All right, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Well, Joe Biden kind of pissed off and blindsided the Democrats yesterday. And it's interesting. It's worth looking into because I was a little confused at first as to why he would do something like this. President Joe Biden said Thursday that he would not veto a Republican-led effort to roll back changes to the District of Columbia's criminal code, changing the White House's position on the issue as he aims to project a tough-on-crime image ahead of an expected 2024 re-election run. It's interesting. Is that what he's trying to do? Biden goes on to say, I support D.C. statehood and home rule, but I don't support some of the changes D.C. council put forward over the mayor's objections, such as lowering penalties for carjackings. Biden wrote on Twitter after first revealing his stance in a closed-door meeting with the Senate Democrats. If the Senate votes to overturn what D.C. council did, I will sign it. That is a little surprising. Since the Republicans were big on this, we would presume that Joe Biden would go against it. Now, Joe wants to appear that he's tough on crime, thinking that will help him in the 2024 election if, in fact, he runs. I get that. And I don't even mind being tougher on crime. I just don't know enough about this to really understand what he's trying to accomplish here. Now, Thursday's announcement seemingly places Biden's desire to insulate himself from ongoing GOP attacks on crime above the Democratic Party's stated support for D.C. statehood and home rule for the district's more than 712,000 residents who lack voting representation in Congress. It also reverses the administration's previously stated opposition to the GOP-led resolution, which it announced less than a month ago. I'm not sure if I agree with Joe here or not. I do think D.C. should get statehood. I understand why the Republicans don't want D.C. to have statehood. It's not because they don't deserve it or that it's not a good idea. The problem with D.C. for the Republicans, it's largely people of color. It's largely a Democratic stronghold. If they give them representation in the House and in the Senate, those are more seats for the Democrats, and you can, might, you can imagine why the Republicans feel threatened by that and don't want to do it. Biden's decision not to stand in the way of the GOP's effort to oppose the council's changes will likely encourage Senate Democrats, especially those who are facing tough re-election fights, to support the measure. And it could ultimately result in Congress directly overturning a D.C. law for the first time in three decades. He said that very clearly, and we heard that loud and clear, said Joe Manchin, the only Senate Democrat who had previously come out in support of the move to override the D.C. Council. He said he will not veto. I guess he thinks it's a bridge too far. 
Now, the D.C. Council passed the changes which mirror criminal code updates in states around the country in a unanimous vote last year. While many of the changes are minor, updating and standardizing a code written by both local and federal lawmakers over the course of a century. A handful of provisions lowering the maximum sentence for crimes like carjacking and murder have generated generated outrage and opposition. Now understand, this is just involving Washington, D.C. So I'm thinking Joe Biden is looking at this, taking away a complaint that the Republicans might have against him. Oh, he's weak on crime. Well, they can't say that now if Joe's not going to veto this. So if he doesn't veto it and it goes the way of the Republicans, for the rest of the country, it doesn't mean anything. It's almost a kind of a token gesture. It's a way to take away some power from the Republican Party. Does it hurt things in D.C.? I don't really know, to be perfectly honest with you. But there are some people very pissed off about it. Now, the law which the district council passed over the veto of Mayor Muriel Bowser eases penalties for a variety of criminal offenses, including violent crimes. The House of Representatives passed a resolution to overturn the law, but it still requires the approval of the Senate. Last month, 173 Democrats voted against the measure, citing respect for D.C.'s home rule. 31 Democrats joined the Republicans in voting to overturn. Biden informed the Democrats that uh, he will sign it. He will not veto it. Now, as word spread after the meeting, some Democratic lawmakers were unhappy to say the least. (laughs) This is... Uh, this is a comment from an anonymous House Democrat uh, texted to the, uh, the Hill publication. This is anonymous. They said, the White House fucked this up royally. <laughs> I guess this person's kind of angry. The lawmaker noted Biden previously said he supports D.C.'s right to self-governance and would oppose the very kind of resolution he now said he would sign. So a lot of us who are allies voted no in order to support what the White House wanted, and now we're being hung out to drive, the lawmaker said. And he added, fucking amateur hour. Heads should roll over at the White House over this. The Democrats stated other lawmakers are extremely pissed about Biden's comments. And I understand what the representatives in the House, the Democrats at least, why they're angry about this. Personally, I think the Senate and the House should stay out of Washington, D.C.'s business. It's a weird situation because it's not a state and it's Washington, D.C., where Congress is. Apparently, they have some power. But why elect these people to the legislature and a mayor and and so forth and then say, you can't Make decisions for yourself. We're going to have to help you with it. That seems to be bullshit. Now, the Republicans were strong supporters of what was happening here. And it's natural to think the way politics is these days. If the Republicans want it, the Democrats don't. If the Democrats want it, the Republicans don't. And this is why we have votes that are along party lines every fucking time. Now, this particular instance, I have two problems with it. Part of it I like, part of it I don't. But again, I don't live in D.C., so what I think doesn't really matter. Do we want to lessen punishment for crimes? I don't think we do. But then do we want our federal government to tell D.C. what they should do with their own town? I don't think they should do that either. I think they should just stay the fuck out of it. But apparently, this is an option they have. The point of bringing this up is that it's it's not really a big deal in the big scheme of things, federally speaking. But it's going to be interesting to see what Joe Biden does over the next two years. If he truly wants to run for president, 
the things he does will be setting things up to give people the proper perception of him. Like was mentioned in the first part of the story, he's trying to project that he's tough on crime because he knows the Republicans are going to be constantly screaming that he's weak on crime. So he's trying to make a statement. But in the process of making this statement, he's impacting Washington, D.C. And I, you know, he may legally have the right to do that, and Congress may legally have the right to do it. I just don't think it's right generally. It's kind of along the lines of overturning Roe v. Wade and telling women what they have to do and what they can't do with their body. It's all about power in Washington, D.C., and it's all about winning that next election. And I'm sure that's what's on Joe Biden's mind. And, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, too, Joe's in kind of a weird situation. If he truly is going to run for president in 2024, and I'm not convinced of that, if he is, he's going to have to do a lot of things to position himself properly to run for re-election. Now, in my mind, no Republican can beat any Democrat in the presidential election in 2024. It's just not going to happen. But that said, you know, candidates, Joe Biden included, are going to do the things that they think are going to help them. And so we'll see what happens with this, but the Democrats are pissed off. Maybe not so much that he's signing this. Maybe more so, as they stated toward the end of the story, that he said he would veto it, and now he says he's not going to veto it. But when he said he was going to veto it, representatives voted away to support Joe Biden. And like they said, Joe kind of hung them out to dry, caught them by surprise, and they're pissed off about this because it makes them look stupid. Now, these people might very well have voted either way, but they wanted to support the president. The president surprises them, and they're pissed off. This is one of the things I think we have to be concerned about for Joe Biden. Is he going to piss off Democrats? Is that going to make it harder for him to be the candidate in 2024? Let's be honest, if he's a sitting president, he's the automatic candidate in 2024, if he is a viable candidate at all. Or is Joe Biden just at a point where he's saying, you know what, I'm not going to run in 2024. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do and say whatever the fuck I want to do. And the hell with all of them. Who really knows exactly what's happening? We don't know, but in these next two years, we're going to find out a lot of things. We're going to see a different side of Joe Biden, because Joe Biden's now fighting for position, looking for the presidency in 2024, (laughs) or he's not running and just doesn't give a shit. It's going to be interesting to see, but I think you're going to see a different Joe Biden in the next two years than you saw in the first two years. We'll see what happens. Well, here's some interesting news. The House Ethics Committee on Thursday announced that it has launched an investigation into New York Republican Representative George Santos, the embattled first-term Republican, you know, the big fat fucking liar. The committee voted earlier this week to open the probe, which it said will look at whether Santos may have engaged in unlawful activity with respect to his 2022 congressional campaign. Now, the panel said it will also review whether Santos was truthful on financial disclosures, whether he may have violated conflict of interest laws and allegations of sexual misconduct from a person who sought a job in his office. Now, this sounds all well and good, but you have to remember this committee, this House Ethics Committee, that's going to look into this is controlled by Republicans. Now that they have the majority in the House, they have the majority in the committees too. So what's going to happen here? Are they going to run him through it? Gaslight everybody? Give him a clean bill of health and let him continue doing what the fuck he's doing? 
Or are they growing tired of this? They see he's become an anchor. And they have to go through the process in order to get his ass out of there. It could be either way. I would have to think the Republicans at this point are really, really tired of dealing with George Santos. He's an embarrassment at every turn. New information, new scandals come out every fucking day. And more importantly, they're trying to sell whatever the fuck they're doing with their hearings and such. But George Santos is sucking up all the oxygen, taking away all the attention. Anything they do is secondary to the crazy fucking shit that George Santos does. George Santos is a problem for this country. He's a problem for the Republican Party. And to be honest, I think the Democrats love seeing him there because it just makes the Republican Party more of a shit show. So my prediction on this, they'll do this House Ethics Committee. They'll run him through it. They'll find him guilty and they'll kick his ass out. That's almost the only choice for the Republicans. If they try to gaslight this situation and keep them, they are going to get shit and they are going to lose for two years. They know this. They got to get rid of George Santos. I think the Democrats would love to have him around just as entertainment to make fun of him at every turn, at every scandal that's exposed. All right, let's move on. This is this one's kind of interesting. Apparently, some allies, some friends of Donald Trump and Representative Jim Jordan have been really struggling mightily to come up with whistleblowers who will tell all about the imagined deep state conspiracy in the federal government out to get the former president. Instead, the effort has turned into a dumpster fire. Oh, big surprise. Jim Jordan fucked up again? Who would ever have thought? Turned it into a dumpster fire blowing up in their faces. And this is a quote coming out of Rolling Stone magazine. Republicans hauled out FBI veteran George Hill in an early February to uh, talk about the weaponized deep state. But Hill, he's a former FBI supervisory intelligence analyst, reportedly admitted, admitted he had little or no firsthand knowledge of any alleged deep state scandals. <laughs> This is their prize witness. And he says, you know, I don't really know much about that. Way to go, Jim Jordan. That was slick as fuck. Instead, his own right-wing biases were revealed, most notably on social media. In one since-deleted tweet discovered by Rolling Stone, Hill wrote, Cancer, go faster. Responding to a tweet from Representative Lauren Boebert basically basically claiming that Joe Biden had been diagnosed with cancer. How in the fuck would Lauren Boebert know what diseases that Joe Biden would have? And this fucking clown, who's supposed to be a respected witness, says, cancer, go faster. Meaning, I want Joe Biden dead. That's that's probably not a funny thing to do in his position, former FBI agent. He'll either could not or refuse to answer many questions put to him according to transcripts reviewed by Rolling Stone. I'll tell you what the deal is. It's easy to talk on television. It's easy to tweet shit out. But when you're under oath, <laughs> little different fucking story. Jordan, the chair of the House Judiciary's Weaponization Subcommittee, opened his first hearing vowing that he had heard from dozens and dozens of whistleblowers about the political nature at the Justice Department. Trump and his backers, including lawmakers like conspiracy-curious GOP Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, has reportedly been beating the bushes for the groomed whistleblowers and covering all their expenses. Donald Trump and all his allies are paying these alleged whistleblowers, and then they step up under oath and they go, yeah, I don't really fucking know anything. But so far, Republicans have brought only three of them 
to Capitol Hill for questioning, and no others have yet been scheduled, in spite of the fact that Jim Jordan said there's dozens and dozens. While one Democrat has described the situation as a dumpster fire, even a Republican has called it amateur hour. In an interview with Rolling Stone, the GOP source admitted that airing this stuff on live television would make us look like morons, and he is absolutely correct about that. So we know that uh, what's happening is they claim to have dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, right? Well, they've only brought three up. And those three apparently are getting money from Donald Trump or his buddies. The roster of witnesses whose interviews and statements are detailed in a 316-page report compiled by Democrats that was obtained by New York Times suggests that Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, the chairman of the panel, has so far relied on people who do not meet the definition of a whistleblower and who have engaged in partisan conduct that calls into question their credibility. But Jesus Christ, Jim Jordan's credibility is in question. And it raises questions about whether Republicans who have said that the investigate that investigating the Biden administration is a top goal will be able to deliver on ambitious plans to uncover misdeeds at the highest levels. You know, it's funny when I when, when I hear these guys say, oh, we're going to have investigations. It's like they've not looked into this at all. They have no strategy. They have no plans. It reminds me of a story when I was a little kid. Um, when I was a little kid, you know, Jerry Lewis had this telethon thing, okay? And uh, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to even say this. Well, nobody took any money. It was a failure, so I'll, I'll bring it up. But the, what the Republicans are doing with these investigations reminds me of a moment in time in my life when I was like seven or eight years old. Jerry Lewis had these MDA telethons or MD telethons, a muscular dystrophy. And, and with these telethons, they would have local telethons. And then they would have these things where little kids like me at the time could put on little fairs or shows or something like that and collect money for muscular dystrophy. And I thought, that'd be cool. We could do it in my backyard. We could do all kinds of stuff. So I had my mom dress me up in some clown type outfit. My brother was dressed up in something like that. And we were getting ready to bring people in to see this show. And at that moment, I realized, now keep in mind, I'm seven, so I'm not the brightest motherfucker in the world yet. At the moment we start letting these kids in, I realize we have virtually no act, nothing to do that would be entertaining. We thought that you could put on these clown outfits, slide down the slide, roll around on the ground, and these people would be happy with that show. But there was no show. And, of course, people weren't happy. It lasted about 10 minutes. They were gone. We collected no money. We looked stupid. We hung our heads for about a week and then moved on and started playing kickball again. But you see what I'm saying? They, they, they have these investigations, and they have this big thing in mind. Oh, we're going to expose all these things. But they've done no groundwork. They've no, done no digging of actual whistleblowers. They're just pulling shit out of their ass, throwing it against the wall, and they are just as embarrassed as I was when I was seven years old trying to put on one of these little MD carnivals and had no fucking clue what I was doing. <laughs> now, I did the same thing that they're doing with these investigations. The only difference is... I was seven years old, and I didn't know fuck all about fuck all. These people are adults. They've been elected to their positions. They're getting paid $175,000 to do a job to take care of this country and the people in it. Instead, they want to put on these little carnivals, and they have no fucking act. It's fucking unbelievable. Now, the, the, the Democratic report 
includes excerpts excerpts from depositions and evidence of conspiratorial social media posts, noted the report. It also has details that ties between Mr. Trump's inner circle and the witnesses. These whistleblowers are essentially working for Donald Trump. For instance, Mr. Patel found Mr. Friend, his next job, working as a fellow on domestic intelligence and security services with the Center for Renewing America, which is run by Rush Vaught. The center is largely funded by the Conservative Partnership Institute, which is run by Mark Meadows, Mr. Trump's former chief of staff and former Senator Jim DeMint of South Carolina. Wow. They're putting on a show, but they got no act. And they're getting embarrassed every fucking time they do it. Oh, they seem sure of themselves that they would pull these investigations together, exposing all the conspiracy theories, exposing Joe Biden. But you know what? They haven't passed a bill of any importance to helping the people of this country or the country itself. They've had these investigations and nothing of any importance has come to light. In fact, quite the opposite has happened. The exact opposite has happened and they've been embarrassed because they had fucking nothing. Now you want to talk about nothing. You know what's going on, the annual far-right conference, CPAC. Now, CPAC got a lot of people when Donald Trump was there and the golden Donald Trump and all that stuff. Well, now they're saying it's pretty much a ghost town, according to some of the photos of the conference space. They aren't running at maximum. Plenty of extra seats there. Now, C-SPAN has been airing some of the panel discussions while showing crowd shots of the empty chairs. Reporters at the event have taken photos of not only the empty chairs, but the people who are on hand to watch the speeches are almost entirely elderly and white. (laughs) The exhibit hall has considerable amounts of space available for vendors that did not sign up for this year to attend. While the conference hall was fairly quiet, the Make America Great Again booth was hopping with Donald Trump Jr. sitting in front of a giant photo of the White House. Of course, he's got to take a bathroom break every 45 minutes to uh, do a line so he can keep up his energy. Now, Insider's Brian Metzger interviewed former White House Office of Personnel Chief John McKenty, who helped purge the government of so-called never-Trumpers. He's among the exhibits that are in the hall to promote his right-wing dating app. (laughs) Yeah, this is is, uh, hardcore stuff. This guy, who was important to Donald Trump, is now at CPAC pimping a right-wing dating app. (laughs) The fuck do they call it? Redneck Matches? Oh, no, wait. It's called The Right Stuff. Clever. Steal the name of a movie. Throw in the fact that uh, it's right and stuff. I don't even want to know what that means. We're having a hard enough time as it is right now, he said. They don't offer an option for same-sex relationships, which is a criticism, he said. They've heard a lot. (laughs) Of course you heard it a lot. Maybe dozens and dozens of people have said that. There have been several GOP dating apps or dating websites that were attempted in the past, like Donald Daters, Conservatives Only, Writer, Republican singles, and others. You got to wonder, if you've got these dating apps that cater to the right-wing fucks, (laughs) you got to wonder. Somebody should take a a survey. Out of those right-wing dating apps, uh, how many of them end up in date rape scenarios or attempted date rape scenarios? These aren't the 
finest folks as we know. And this is what's at CPAC. This is supposed to be an important, an important political event where people used to go to and kind of plan for who's going to be the next candidate. Well, it was big when Donald Trump was there, and he was ranting and raving, and of course, he lost the presidency in 2020. But it's really becoming a bad situation with CPAC. Nobody's showing up. And there's one other issue as to why people aren't showing up. Well, there's two reasons. First of all, somebody like Ron DeSantis or whoever don't want to show up, Mike Pence, don't want to show up and piss off Donald Trump because they're still deathly afraid of Donald Trump. But there's that little instance, that incident that happened. Remember um, the, uh, the head of the CPAC? Yeah, he was accused of sexually assaulting one of Herschel Walker's male aides. Now, he said he didn't do it, and I'm sure he's being honest with us. But I have a feeling that some of these rednecks, some of these Republicans, um, aren't really feeling comfortable going to an event run by a guy who just might be homosexual. Oh, my God, not that. Now, there's other goofy stuff going on at CPAC. We've got podcaster, occasional U.S. Senator, Ted Cruz. He urged the audience members at CPAC to take out their cell phones so they could sign up for his podcast. He's pushing these people at CPAC, sign up for my podcast. There's all kinds of good shit there. Cruz recorded an episode of The Mistrial, The Verdict with Ted Cruz at the CPAC venue in Washington, D.C. He did that on Thursday, where he was accompanied by Senator J.D. Vance. Here is the hype video Cruz tweeted ahead of their appearance. Cruz was discussing the lab leak theory about the origins of the COVID-19 virus that spurred global pandemic three years ago. He then gave he gave the attendees a real hard sell on his podcast. Maybe he's thinking he's not going to be senator that long. He said, and I will say this, if you want to know the facts on what's going on on this issue and everything else, I want to encourage everyone here to take out your cell phone. Take out your cell phone. <laughs> then the moderator said, he's not joking. You can take out your cell phone. Cruz instructed audience members to text a special number to summon Beelzebub's sign up for his podcast. What you will get is a link to subscribe to the podcast, he continued. We do it three days a week. Well, fuck you, Ted. I do it every goddamn day. And I'm not begging people to sign up. I don't have to beg people to sign up because if you're listening to this show, you're already listening. The senator assured those in the crowd the podcast is a free listen. Well, of course it is. We've had now on verdict over 50 million downloads. Cruz went on. We had 700,000 unique viewers last month. We are beating CNN every week of this year. It just says Ted Cruz is awesome again and again and again. J.D. Vance cracked after texting the number. This is propaganda, Ted. What is going on here? Oh, they're clever. They got a little morning show going on here. So Ted Cruz has 50 million downloads, 700,000 unique viewers last month. That's slightly above the Rational Boomer podcast. <laughs> But then, of course, Ted Cruz is a pathological liar, so we don't know that that's fucking true. I guess I could say I got a million unique viewers last month and 300 million downloads. I mean, who's going to fucking check it? I don't. Not even close. But it doesn't matter. Like I've always said on TikTok and on the podcast, I'm not looking for big numbers. I'm looking for quality audience. And I'm fortunate to have a quality audience on TikTok and on the podcast. And I'm cool with that. 
So don't sign up for Ted Cruz's uh, podcast unless you're looking for, you know, essentially lies and conspiracy theories and bullshit. I'm just saying. So CPAC isn't doing well. It's not as popular as it once was. It will have less power than it always had, and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out next year, especially if the leader ends up going on trial for assaulting a gentleman that worked for Herschel Walker. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.